become a patron. Patreon.com slash going off track. Suck on our teats to help us not suck on the corporate teat. Brad, tell me more about Beer Douche Magazine. Beer Douche Magazine, the magazine for the beer douche. I mean, I was asking just before <laughs> we hit record here, Brad was like, oh, I'm having a smoky, hazy, blah, 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 shmammermat, New Orleans style, <laughs> uh, cedar plank infused <laughs> IPA right now. And I said, where do you, where do you find this stuff? Do you just go to into a store and... And yes. like, just pick it off the shelf based on how it looks? Or do you have a magazine? You're the one who dubbed it Beer Douche Magazine, but <laughs> I think that's a pretty good name. Yeah, I'm going to start publishing that. So you just go by label, just whatever looks cool. That's it? <laughs> no, it's like, it's Sierra Nevada. They make like a great... Uh, they make all all their beers really good, and like it looked like you know I was looking for something that wasn't uh, going to bowl me over with alcohol, and that's what the session means. Session means like you can drink a lot of them and not get drunk. Oh, that's what that means. Yeah, session <laughs> like a session IPA is like a dad IPA. <laughs> oh, I didn't know what that meant this whole time. Unless dad is a is a vicious alcoholic, and okay, okay. I had a backfire with some booze last night. Where, oh dear. well, so I'm at a very nice recording studio in northwestern New Jersey. Uh, it's on six acres. The producer and engineer, the engineer lives here in a separate house, and the studio is in a converted barn. Uh, they have places to stay. My house is quite far from here. So, since, you know, first couple of days are a lot of drums, I figured I'd hole up for a couple of nights. And uh, I ended up Staying by myself here last night. Oh, uh, no. You know, in this old converted barn on six acres of property. Right. Which is kind of cool. Like, you know, I've been more open to paranormal experiences as I get older. So I was like... You looking to relive that sexual escapade? From I mean, <laughs> if it happens, you know, if it happens, there's nothing I could do. So, you know, I went into it like kind of open that like... There was the potential that, you know, I could see. So I tried to be cool about it. Not, ended up having no uh, vibes here. Um, but the, the guys wanted to record one. I thought I was done last night. And then they're like, oh, you want to try and bust this one out? So I'm like, oh, great. So I, I hit the Keurig one more time. And about 9.10, have another late coffee. And then I'm offered a little bourbon afterwards. I have one more bourbon to assure that I don't get nervous by myself. But it kind of backfired between the coffee and the bourbon. I was up uh, quite late, dear. you know, a little, little too much sugar. Yeah. But uh, there's an old Xbox here with a Madden 2012. So I went into a little wormhole and uh, I, I walked the grounds a little, you know, got out there. It was cool. It's nice to have some time alone every so often. No, nah, it was cool. It was, I mean... Do you ever do this? I don't know if it's just me being a crazy person, but like sometimes when I'm like driving along, I'm like, what would life be like if I just like lived by myself in that weird apartment right there? <laughs> I've done a variation of that like since I was a child, like driving cross country and I would look out and go like, 
what do these people do? Like, what's it like to live in that house? Like, where do they go? I've, I've, yeah, and what would I be like yeah. if I were from here? I think about that all the time. When yeah, and it's funny that since becoming, I think become since becoming a dad, that's when I, I like this. Like, what if I was like divorced and living there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's where before before one of the guys left last night. They're like, "Oh, Benny, this is a little taste of your weird, you know, living alone fantasy. You get to see what it's like, you know." And I think everyone thinks they'll show up in the morning and be like, you hated it, didn't you? And I'm like, no, nah, I didn't hate Madden. it. I got down with some Madden. <laughs> it's kind of nice. <laughs> I didn't even have to turn it off, you know? Well, dude, speaking of drinking beers, guess where I had like a big, tall, plastic cup of beer on Sunday night? On Sunday night, where did you have a big, tall beer? Surrounded by thousands of people breathing on me from like new jersey and long island oh, would you go to a baseball game or something you go to a yankees <laughs> game dude i was at madison square garden the opening the grand opening of madison square garden oh what, what was it it was the fucking foo fighters and oh you're at that gig yeah, and uh Wait, so did you see Dave yes! Chappelle yes! thing with the Foo Fighters? That was the weirdest thing. Oh, my God. So what was it your was reaction? It was such a perfect song to pick, though. Creep. He picked Creep. What yeah. are you... <laughs> All right. I have some questions. I have some questions because I'm glad that you were there because I do have questions because I saw that video and I'm like, this is cool, I think. <laughs> but what was like the context? Like, can you tell me? how he was brought out and introduced. Yeah, Dave was like, you know, he's like, I wanted to do something special, you know, for this big, you know, the whole night was about like, this was, you know, it was the opening of... Right, like the big yeah, comeback like, night. I mean, it was kind of like, this is the opening, reopening of New York was sort of the way everybody was right. presenting it. But mm -hmm. he was like, I want to do something special. So, you know, I know a few Daves. And he goes, I'd like to bring one out now for a sign. I'm thinking, like, I'm trying to think of like all the like 90s, like yeah. Dave singers. He's, he's a fucking you know, like, Letterman. Dave or like, Stain. You know. Like, who's he going to bring? Like, who's he going to bring out? You right. know? And uh, yeah, it was the last guy I would have imagined. But did the crowd go bizarre? Yeah, the crowd was into it. It was pretty crazy. And when did they announce like the song they were going to play? They just started into it. They just started into it. Wow. And they did the whole... I did notice that no one did the... Uh, dun, dun, I know, I know. Dun, dun. I don't know if they... That kind of pissed me off that like... I'm like, how many fucking guitar players do you need up there? Like, you have three. Well, like, couldn't one of them have they, done the chunky part? It. It's like the coolest part of that song. I think they played song. the chunky part, but you don't realize like how sort of like massively produced that sound is. Like, that's not just a guitar oh, player. Yeah, yeah. That's not just a guitar player going no, chunk chunk. No. Like, that's like... You're that's right, like a fucking right, right. like logo. Like that's like that yeah. was a created sound. Um so I think they were playing it. Wow. You know, those guys they probably learned the song that afternoon at like sound check, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean I'd imagine people like that like know how to fudge their way through creep pretty easily. How did you find Dave's performance? Because when I first was watching it, I'm like, wait, am I watching comedy <laughs> right now? Am I watching Irony? He was pretty good, dude. Or is he playing this totally serious? He, he was pretty totally good. Serious, like, he didn't, right? like he sang the song, but he didn't try to do anything stupid. 
And he was pretty much yeah. on key, like, and it was funny. His delivery right. was good. Yeah, I think it was like I, I thought it was a great choice. That's cool, yeah. man. I, that's that's cool. You saw something so special like that. You actually paid to go to that that show. Oh man, I, I saw Chris the, like t- the day before. He, he oh, was okay, in town okay. all weekend, and and Kath really wanted to take the kids because because yeah. we, we, we've been talking about next time they come around that the kids are all old enough to go. You know, I mean that's a heck of a show. Like the Foo Fighters or not, if you're gonna take your kids to an arena rock show like oh oscar loved it because he knows like he's so into guitars now and chris was like you know chris changes guitars a lot so like he played the flying v which like oscar loves and uh he's been playing a strat recently yeah. which um for some reason oscar's really into strat so he was just down for that i mean he the, he fucking i mean he literally pogoed for the first 90 minutes until like, yes. he was just too exhausted <laughs> it was pretty sweet it was pretty sweet i was That's like awesome yeah. Well, however you feel about the Foo Fighters, it was definitely like a good, it was a good show for uh, both of my kids to kind of experience arena rock. I mean, yeah. I even told them at lunch, I'm like, you know, those guys are kind of the last rock stars that you probably could really have an opportunity to see. Like in that, like rock with a capital R, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And like a standard, like in the standard yeah, like model of the of historical standard of yeah. rock star. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're not getting away with many bands having 18 guitar strings on stage these days. That's <laughs> yeah. that's an old school thing. Well, to segue into our guest, I couldn't think of a band that represents him less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Being that Mike Park is still operating his amazing record label out of his parents' garage. That's um, amazing. Yeah, incredible story. I, I was like, you know doing research for this and I found some older quotes and I'm like, oh, he probably found the place by now. He's probably got a warehouse, a couple people. And then I find like a more contemporary interview. Nope. Still the way it is. You sign the Asian man, you get your record put out, you get total honesty and then you're, it's old school. It's like, Go out there and tour your record, you know? Like, Dude, what do you want us to do? Like, <laughs> he can't, he can't move out. He's got like, he's got the classic, like, hire your family, hire people you trust, right? Doesn't oh, yeah. he have his mom doing books for him or something? Yeah. Like, I mean, and then <laughs> just picture his parents walking around the neighborhood and like skanking pickle shirts. It's yeah. the best, man. It's the best. Oh. But I have a lot of respect for Mike. I mean, obviously, he's one of the more well respected people, I think, in like, in punk rock these days. And I, I think he represents, you know, um, some extension of his hero and is someone like Ian Mackay, you know, this is two, two weeks in a row between Emil and Mike where, you know, I think we all knew to a extent what Ian Mackay and Minor Threat and Discord and, you know, sometimes we talk about the music and we don't talk about kind of the precedents they were able to set and how, Oh, huge precedent. Like, yeah. And I mean, you're watching I, these. Especially like my, you know, my generation, there was not that nothing like that had ever happened before. Like, right. Just the, like the sticking to your fucking guns, like the ticket prices are going to be this, like nobody could do that before. I don't know. I'm still even, I don't know how they managed to do it even. At, I mean, the age. thing that's remarkable about it is not just managing to do it, but not only conceptualizing it, being super 100% hardcore about it to see it through, but doing it when you're like 18. <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah. the thing that kind yeah. of blows my mind is like, 
I mean, often people need like years and experience to have that kind of self-assuredness, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of 18-year-olds have sort of empty self-assuredness. Like, I'm very sure, but I, I don't know about what, you know? <laughs> and like, to, to have it all, like your ducks in a row by like 18, it's, it's just incredible. I'd love yeah. to hear about Ian Mackay's parents too, but I love that. Mike really holds it to heart and and has still been operating his label after all these years with such a punk rock ethos. And I can't imagine the amounts of opportunities he's had over the years to license these records out, to do different things, because he's got some some big bands and some big records in his catalog. And and he's just keeping it through. But he has no record contract. It's great. It's great. And I have nothing <laughs> but respect for him. And we have a lot of mutual friends and... uh Everybody who you talk to about Mike just like sings his praises. It's pretty obvious that he's a very well-liked and respected guy and fucks with everybody meets, but like in this really nice way. I think that's highlighted in our mystery friends section where like half of our mystery friends are Mike fucking with people (laughs) to the point that they thought it was real enough to tell me about it, which is hilarious. (laughs) You know, like that's fucking hilarious. Uh, and Mike, I got to tell you, bud, I'm coming after you. I know you had a good fantasy basketball season this year. Ska, Ska, Ska is an incredible team. I respect you, but I'm coming after you next year, buddy. <laughs> You're done. Done, Ski. All right. Fuck it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just... You know, I have a hard time with that, Mike, because I uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself when I do something, you know? Like, if I'm going to do anything, I want to do it really well and make sure it's good. Sometimes I got to remember, you know, it's a podcast. Got to have some fun, you know? Not put too much pressure on it. You want to hear a bad-sounding podcast, you should listen to my I'm in Love with a Girl Named Spike, a Degrassi podcast. Oh. We do not. We do not care about the sound. It's, yeah. We have some horrible episodes where it's almost unlistenable. I'm yet to check it out, but in the model of that podcast, are we in classic Degrassi or remake Degrassi? What, we finished. Which? We finished the classic. We just did episode 140, <laughs> and so we're on season three, episode 20 of season three of Next Generation. And that's the one with Drake in a wheelchair, right? Yeah. Okay. It hasn't happened yet. That happens in season five, I believe. Season, oh, shit. Yeah, season five. So. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> and now, is he the same character as Wheels in the first one? No, totally different people. Oh, okay. Not- <laughs> Wheels, Wheels was never in a wheelchair. Oh, but- right. His name was Wheels for an entirely different reason. Yeah, everyone had nicknames. Wheels, Snakes, yeah. Spike. That's right. Snakes. But what was their band called? They had a band. The, the Zid Remedy. <laughs> yes. Such a good name. It's a great yeah. name. And some of the names they were trying to come up with while the, while they were working on the Zit Remedy. Yeah. One one name they had was Snake and the Charmers, and I thought that would be a great garage band, like a 60s garage band, Snake and the Charmers. Snake and the Charmers, yeah. Where did your love for Degrassi, was it like consistent from, I mean, when did it start? It was like late 80s? Yeah, whenever it was playing on PBS. 
So, so were you was, in love with it from that point until now, or did you have a little yeah. gap there? I'm sure I had. I definitely had gaps, so I didn't watch it for years, but I was always a fan. And then when Next Generation came ten years later, after the original ended, it was. It was I was kind of wary, but man, it was maybe even better. Wow. It's really good. <laughs> They deal with some. There's some actual like real heavy content stuff in that show, right? Don't I remember? Do I remember yeah. an abortion? Many abortions. Yeah, oh, many. Oh, Mul- multiple. <laughs> what? Yeah, they sit down with the cast and they kind of go over stuff like, is this realistic for teens? And right, they they put their input in, especially with the original. Have you have you heard or like interviewed or spoke to anyone from the actual show? Yeah, we've interviewed a bunch of people. We've uh, we've probably interviewed about eight cast members so yes. far. Oh, that's so good. Just Seriously. like doing anything to try to get a hold of them, or even like doing their cameos, like paying oh. for the cameo. And the, the question is, will you be on our podcast? Oh, really? <laughs> that's so good. Paying, paying 40 bucks to just ask them to be on our podcast. But it worked? It worked once. Okay. It's failed. It's failed four times. I mean, I really appreciate your gumption overall. I like that yeah. you're sticking like another flag into the ground too, because you know you're known for certain things. You're already well known for things, and now you're you're finding a new avenue. I'm I'm impressed. We have not missed an episode in 140 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the culmination of that? Like when you actually finish that season, is it over or not the season? Well, there's there's 14 season of Next Gen. And oh, and you're only in season three. And then there's Next Class. So we oh, feel like goodness. we have a good like yeah. six years to go until we finish. And by the time you get there, there could potentially be like another like Netflix. Well, there was a Netflix. Already? Oh, yeah, my God. It was I called feel so Next unresearched class. the first five minutes of this. <laughs> but, it, but it got canceled. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Now, like, do you think everything's been covered or there's still some avenues you could go down? With the podcast? No, I'm actually With- more talking like hypothetically, like if, say, whoever's creating Degrassi now, you know, they knew about your podcast and they're like, shit, we're like, we're running out of ideas. Let's hit up the podcast guy and see if he has <laughs> some. Like, do you have any like plot points or like different avenues, new characters no. you could bring in, like worked out in your head? I'm not one of those fan fiction writer <laughs> persons. I enjoy the content and soak it in. But there's endless content because everything keeps changing. Like teens today are facing things totally different from 10 years ago. Right. And then 10 years ago, they're facing something very different from 10 years prior. That's true. It's all, it's all different now. I can't imagine being a teenager in 2021. My daughter's a teenager and I just see what, how they react to social media and how it just affects them. It's, it's weird. It's a wild ride. Yeah. And you have, you have two teenagers, do you not? My son will be a teenager in July, August, September, four months. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're almost in the zone of two teenagers. What is that like for you? Um, I mean, I know, you know, you have to actively use social media just for work and stuff like that, more of than your personal interest. But 
But what is it like for you watching that? Um, uh, the relationship that they have with it, like how much do you need to put your own nose in there to, to make sure it's all right? Or do you let them like kind of have their own experience there? Well, my son, he doesn't do it at all. He's, okay. uh, he's more into video games. I guess he does his own thing like discord, I guess. Right. And, um, yeah. yeah. Maybe Twitch. I don't even know. He loves, he watches YouTube a lot. He watches other people play video games. So he's even farther to the, <laughs> he's, he's, he's in like, he's in like Bitcoin land. He's even farther <laughs> in that direction. <laughs> but he's, uh, but he's good. He, 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 he likes to go out a lot. So he'll, he'll just like take off on his bike and oh, nice. he'll just be gone all day. That's cool. With, with no cell phone. He doesn't have a cell phone. So love that. So we just like, we don't even know where he is. We're calling all the parents going, do you know where Moses is? Really? He's like a, he's a vagabond, huh? Yeah. He loves, he'll just, he'll just take off on his bike and go like what I would consider far, especially at that age and like meet up with friends. So what's, and what's your policy with stuff like that? Just like get home by a certain time and I don't, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. And he never makes it home in time either. (laughs) It's usually like it's pretty close. He's like fifteen to twenty minutes late, and then right, that's, that's not too he just bad. comes rolling in. I just like that he's outside, like sure. more than anything. He's just yeah. uh, out and <laughs> breathing fresh air. So yeah, I'm you down. don't want to do anything to stifle that. Exactly. Is it a matter but, of like now? I have little kids younger than yours, so I'm a lot of the times when I'm asking these questions, I'm kind of prepping. You know? Um, yeah. Like, is it a matter of like, you have a lot of trust in your kid? Like, you know, it's a good kid and you know yeah. that he'll, he'll and, make his way back and do the right thing. Or is this just like yeah. a blanket policy? No, I, I have trust in him. And I feel like if something does go wrong, it's because someone bad did something to him. But right, uh, right. yeah. And also it's just teenage kids are kids. He's going to get in trouble because that's what kids do. Right. I mean, I didn't, I was no perfect being, but for the most part, I was pretty good. And just talking to all my friends over the years and punk, especially God, some of the stuff people did insane. Yeah. 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 Just insane. Like they, and they think back, they're like, I can't believe I did that. I know. Well, that's something I think about a lot. And I even wanted to speak to you about was like, you know, um, you're in a position now with your son that, you know, you trust him and, um, and have this open door to, you know, going through your own experience. And as like a punk rocker myself, you know, I want to have that same kind of, um, outlook going into it. But then I struggle with the idea of like, um, like you said, a lot of the people I saw who who went into like a counterculture world and alternative, like there's a lot of stories about it saving people, but there's some about it going the the wrong way, you know? Oh, um, for sure. So like, like when you were bringing them up, like based on your own experience, how, how, how are you, you know, balancing that? There's, I mean, if I had a, if I had the answer for this, like I would write books on it. I, I don't know. You just kind of go with the flow. Uh, and I don't think there's a, a perfect way to raise your kids. I don't think there's uh, any book or podcast or 
YouTube tutorial that can teach you. Every kid's different. It's incredible how different my two kids are. Right. So just kind of try to be as supportive as you can without losing your mind. It's (laughs) Yeah. And at this age, you know, I'd like to tell you with younger kids that it gets better, but it doesn't. Right, right. It gets worse. It does. Yes. How so? <laughs> cherish, cherish these moments. Yeah. Just that innocence is gone. The right. innocence of, how old are your kids? Four and five. Oh, you're living the dream right now. Yeah. They love you. They do. They do. <laughs> they love you. They're not going to love you. <laughs> yeah, they do. They're not going to love you unconditionally in uh, nine years. Right. They'll love you deep down, but right. they'll but be complaining a lot. Totally different kind of love. Yeah. Man, I'm not ready for it yet. I got to no. get ready for that. So I'm not did ready you ever for find it. a conflict in like being a punk rocker and um, you know, teaching independent thought while saying listen to what I tell you? Yeah, I really pushed that, especially on my daughter who's older. I want her to I I tell her I say, you know, you don't need to follow the trends just do what you want to do right i and i really pushed that narrative i i know like joe strummer had had basically no rules for his kids they he let them like draw on the walls because oh, really? it felt like it was a creative outlet like to anything to like advance creativity okay and support it he was down and i try to do that but Neither kid has has found the the joy of the arts. So, oh, okay. After doing music lessons and uh, drums, actually, they both took drums. They huh. they both quit. And I just I hate keep pushing them. And my daughter played saxophone for a few years, and she just didn't want to do it. So hmm. I just said okay. And my son is playing sax now, and he hates it. <laughs> but I'm I'm forcing him to play through junior high. Okay. And if he still doesn't like it, then I'm I'm giving him a pass. Got you. To explore new avenues. So what's the point of forcing it? Just the idea that you need to obtain that skill somehow, and if you want to use it, it's there, kind of. Yeah, and also I, I've been too lenient. I need to be more of a dick. Right. I, sh- I should uh, I should force my daughter to continue playing. Mm. And I didn't because I was too soft. I was like, oh, they don't want to do it anymore. I should have done it with guitar, too. They hmm. they should all be playing, and I should have forced them. Right. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it would be so rare to find a kid who starts something and goes through those first couple bumps and has the their own, you know, goes through with it on their own volition. I feel like almost every kid would be like, yeah, yeah, I'm done with this. You know, without yeah. that push. Actually, some uh, really over-the-top, like, Italian guy I saw somewhere. We got in a random conversation. And, you know, New Jersey's, like, filled with these guys, so I can talk like this. But uh, And we were talking about kids, and I think I was with one of my kids. And he's like, listen, buddy, let me tell you something. If there's anything I learned in having kids, he's like, don't be this kid's friend, okay? Be his father. <laughs> Be his father. And he like really dug it in. But then he went into like this awful story about how like one of his kids is like doing fucking speed and doesn't know where he is and stuff. Um, So he scared the crap out of me. I'm like, oh shit. Like if, if I don't like be an asshole 
be like, hey, you got to finish this because you started. And that's what you see. You know, you got to pull up your bootstraps that they're going to wind up on speed. This guy freaked me out, you know? <laughs> he sounds like a fun, a fun person to hang out with. <laughs> he probably is about half the day, you know? Um, so, but you're kind of backing him up too, you know, with, with your thought that you should have pushed him through a little. I mean, it, it makes sense. And then your parents forced you to play, to play piano, you said, right? They did. And I cried and I cried until the piano teacher just said, oh man, we got to stop. Really? I just told my mom, like, it's, it's, this is not fun for anybody. <laughs> so I was like, yes, I'm out. You fought it that hard, huh? I fought it that hard. And I wish I, wish I had that huh. in my life. I wish I was uh, proficient at piano. So I regret it. Of course, I regret, I regret a lot of stuff. But Sure. Well, that's part of it. Business. It is what it is. Yeah, what can you do about it now? I mean, I guess you could still learn piano if you want. Of course. I mean, I can play piano. I just can't play it well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, I heard, like, you know, that was uh, an issue for you um, coming up, sort of the idea that, like, it, it was really actually a pretty pretty stunning thing that I read. It was a quote from an old interview with you, but you were talking about how, um, you know, your parents couldn't really get behind your profession because they couldn't relate to it. And that, like, the parents of white America, like, rock is in their, like, kind of blood. And and it's interesting because I've made the point a lot about how so many bands I've seen become successful. It's not a result of the fact that they had this, but it was certainly helped that they had, like, supportive parents opening up basements and paying van insurance and buying gear and, like, doing stuff. And... And it was a really astute comment because so many of these parents came up, you know, in the 60s and, uh, you know, reading on the road. And there was sort of this like romanticism that um, maybe they were living through their kids a little bit. And you had a separate experience from that. Um, Like, how hard was it for you to really like carve out your own avenue there? Oh, it was extremely difficult. Yeah. I... I pretended going to school for, I, I don't know if it was a full year. It was at least a semester where I would get up and go, hey, going to school. Wow. And I would just like go to friends' houses. Oh, shit. You had like the empty suitcase deal. <laughs> <laughs> because I just didn't want to go to school. I wanted to play music. And, right. Uh, this was like high school you were doing that? No, this was in college. Oh, okay. Like, uh, I don't know if it was my first or second year, but. It's probably my second year, and I was—I just started skank and pickle at the time, and I was like, "Oh, this is what I'm going to do." And then I was like, "I don't want to be at school, so I'm not going." And I just just pretended I was great at it. <laughs> see ya, see ya, mom, see ya, yeah. dad. And uh, like, how are you so sure? Like, what what was going on with like? old friends and family was everyone else just going a different path and you were kind of setting this by yourself? Well, no, you have the band members, of course. So, so you have that camaraderie. It was just something, at least I wanted to give it a shot. I had no idea. Like I'm trying to think it's been a long time, (laughs) but uh, it was just so much fun. It was like such a natural high of, of playing music. So yeah, 
almost like a drug. I just wanted more. And I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else at that time right. in my life. So what were you going to college for? Well, or what were you pretending to go to college for? I studied music. I was a music major. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're still doing that. And, and when did like, when did you kind of, or if did you ever come to like a mutual understanding with your parents that this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do this forever. And you know, you're going to have to be okay with that. It was when somehow Korean media picked up on my story and I was oh, no shit. featured in like a couple newspapers okay. that, that were distributed in the U S and in particular the Bay area and a television show, a oh, Korean television show. So wow. they came, talked to my parents and older generation Korean, probably everybody, I, guess I shouldn't just generalize, but they love to brag about their kids. So <laughs> right. when their friends saw or, saw or read about me in the paper or saw me on TV, then it was like they were getting phone calls and, and it was okay. Well, I wouldn't say it was okay. It was, it was, uh, not as frowned upon at that point. Right. There's a little, little gap opening like, ah, okay. Maybe my son is a a complete loser and (laughs) let's, but still a a, a strong concern of how is he going to make a living? Right. How, how is this going to be financially viable? So that was that concern. Sure. Which um, continued through my touring, my heavy touring years, which was uh, 89 to 96. Okay. That's when you were gone the most. Yeah. I toured heavily during that time. And I would, I consider 96 the last year of me touring heavily ever. Okay. That was the last years. Since then, I don't think, I think the longest I went out was. Three months in one year. Huh. But I mean, they had to have like some idea of support behind it. Just even the fact that like, I mean, their, their house is the, the label office, isn't it? Or is it still? It is. I'm, I'm here right now. That's awesome. But this was prior to the label starting. This was was still when I was still in Skank and Pickle. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. So it was, I, I, I'm trying to think if it, I wouldn't say it's definitive, but I believe even through the entire duration of Skank and Pickle, they, at least my mom would always say, you, you should really go back to school, you know, get your degree. Right. Like have the backup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got it too. I mean, my, my uh, immigrant family was second generation. It was my grandparents, but the same when I was starting to tour and go to these really cool places. Well, Hey, just convincing them I was going to Germany to make money was kind of funny. Um, (laughs) But I mean, I could have said anything. I could have been like, yo, I'm going to be in this country in this country in this country. And the answer would have been like, okay, are you, are you making a living yet? Right. You know, are you making, cause the idea of like romantically wasting like your prime years in your twenties when you should be building your foundations to them, you know, the idea of like not doing it was just insane. Right. 100%. Yeah. And it, it only, it only stopped when I started making money. Right. Um, Yeah. That 97 was the year that Asian man, really broke and that 
And it's very uncommon for labels to break in their first year. I started in um, May of 96. Mm -hmm. And then by February of 97 is when the money was coming in. And both parents were like, what the heck is going on? Like, I think (laughs) I was making more than my dad. Right. Wow. So, and he was, and he did well. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So he actually, I think he was retired at that point. And so he was like, oh, I'm going to help you. And he was started doing the accounting for me. And Oh, hell yeah. Uh, so it turned into a family me. business by the Oh, totally. Yeah. So my, cool. my mom would go to the bank and make deposits. She would go to the post office, pick wow. up the mail, mail order before. It was all internet-based. Everything was snail mail. So Man. you would just get a stack, like a good like two-foot stack. We would have to go into the P.O. box and... Um, because it wouldn't fit in the box. We'd have to go in. They'd have it all in a bucket waiting for us. Right. Of course. <laughs> did your parent, did they by default become like ska, ska and punk fans just from being around it so much? No. Not at they, all. <laughs> not at all. They knew the band. Like my mom would know the band. She would always sure. like, she definitely knew. I remember her like Oingo Boingo. She would always say Oinky Boinky. <laughs> so, oh, where's your... Winky Boinky shirt or something. <laughs> I remember that clearly. Oh, uh, but um, she would always wear like the the gear around. Mm-hmm. Not so much these days, but and people would comment like, "Oh, I know that band." Especially if she wore a skank and pickle shirt, <laughs> people would talk to her. And she'd go, "Oh, that's my son." That's awesome. <laughs> that's so cute. Yeah. Now, it, you kind of had that unique situation. Like, Asian Man started it kind of scars. I mean, I, I can't say for sure, but arguably its biggest point uh, in the mainstream, right? Like, when that was going on, did, did you think in your head, did you imagine it was going to kind of stay at that level perpetually? Uh, strangely, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how. Right. I I just felt very confident that I had a good ear for what um, would do well, and I, I had a a good judgment of who to work with, who would be good people to work with. Right. Um, because that's important too. I don't want to work with uh, mean people. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not fun. Yeah. Not fun. No. I, and that's why I don't do contracts with bands because if I always feel like if a band wants to leave, why why put them in something that's going to bind them to uh, – what am I trying to say? I feel like contracts, all they do is create problems. I, I, I'd like a band, if they're not happy, to be free to, to feel free to leave at any time. That's great. And so that's why I don't do contracts. Yeah, yeah. And not smart. No one would ever tell anybody – don't do contracts. Well, that's the worst. That's the worst advice like anyone in business school would say. But for me, it works. Well, business school doesn't teach you everything, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, with the way that you honor the label and with the things you promise bands, you know, as long as people are being straight with each other, there's really, there's really no reason. Um that's you, know. you hit it right on the nose. It's very I'm very clear with bands what my limitations are and and if they don't honor that, I'll call them out and I'll say, Listen, I'm not epitaph. I don't have or or a million other indie labels. I didn't have I have no staff. 
you get what you get. Yeah. Like I tell them, there's nothing. I do nothing. Yeah, you can't sit on your album and let like the cycle take its course or something. Like you got to go out there and push your album. Exactly. Yeah. Now, do you think like the fact that the first couple years of Asian Man, you know, as you said, like brought in some money and had some successes that kind of, you know, at least you have some records early on in the catalog there that are going to be selling forever because they're great records. Like, is it easier or only even possible to run the label the way you do now because of those early successes? Like, I think so. Yeah. I think the reason I'm able to work with new bands like and take that risk is because the back catalog is so strong I can lose money and it'll be okay. Right. And uh I I don't mind losing I mean I don't like to lose money <laughs> sure. but I don't mind it. <laughs> yeah. I I enjoy working with new bands and um kind of just starting from the the beginning and seeing how we can grow together. Uh there's really little excitement of like picking up a band that's been a band for 20 years and have has a deep catalog it's it's um it's no fun right it, yeah. you, you know I, I feel like in too much cases, baggage so much baggage well not even that i feel like why doesn't the band just release it themselves they can make right. more money at that point yeah and so i'm all i'm doing is taking your money i think for the older generation they're still get. i mean i can say this from personal experience you're still getting hammered it in you know because because we became accustomed to this model, you know, this way mm-hmm. of doing things that like is clearly not the way that should be <laughs> things should be going anymore, you know, but I think it is hard, I don't know, to use the old cliche to teach a old dog new tricks, right? Yeah. You're you're correct. <laughs> um now like how do you go about these days finding bands? Are you uh you know, actively searching is Asian Man still a label that you can send a demo into and it's actually worth it no do not send a demo <laughs> I, I will not listen to it. straight have, to roadside records it's uh or straight know, to no pile one, in the corner records actually no one sends physical anymore it's all it's all email and somehow i'm i'm on like some industry lists so i just get constantly a mm, hundred emails a day that are specifically like hey i'm mc something from and here's my my new rap track sometimes i'll listen to those because i'm just so curious I'm like, yeah yeah i gotta listen to this and yeah. I, I listened to one artist i can't remember who it was but it was like it was a female artist and it was like it looked like maybe in the genre of like a, a beyonce type okay and so i was like ah i wonder if this person can sing and it was just like so out of tune the vocals i was like oh my god <laughs> And I felt bad because I felt like, man, this person loves music so much. Yeah. And part of me was like, maybe I should write her and go, this is horrible. (laughs) This is horrible. I mean, that's a weird, yeah, that's a weird uh, delineation to make, right? Because you're a nice guy. So the last thing you want to do is like write this person and tell them they're bad. Yeah, that's why I didn't do it. Feels really mean. (laughs) But. On like the long scale, you know, if you were really mean and they had a successful career, they'd be like having like a behind the music in 20 years and being like, you know what? <laughs> I was really glad Mike Park was honest with me, you know, 
It really made <laughs> so so you missed your chance there too to be like, you know, the dick that gets turned into the angel twenty years later. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a while there, our P.O. box, uh the physical P.O. box just went out of business. The city of Montessorino. Uh so we for a while had I think actually if you go to Fat Records right now, if it says like demos and frequently asked questions. It has our old PO box. It says, send your demo to. Oh my God. Asian man records. So <laughs> we had a good, like mm, six year run of getting their demos. Oh, some no of the, shit. some of those were, and that was all like physical and it was yeah. so funny. Some of the bands we'd get. Those were still the days of like, uh, the, Eight and a half by eleven glossies too, right? Yes. yes. We had the glossies and just I would listen to a lot of those because I was just curious. Sure. And, so, yeah. and some would send such elaborate packaging like to to get the label's attention. One person sent like an entire like five foot like plastic Santa Claus. <laughs> and like the shipping alone was like fifty dollars. Oh my god. Like made this like uh, these vulgar messages on it because I think they're thinking like, oh, oh fat Michael love fat wreck, yeah. yeah. And I was like, this is this is embarrassing. First of all, <laughs> picking this up at the post office, <laughs> right, but yeah. then I was like, I gotta listen to it. And it was just so bad, oh, so dang. crass, and just oh, uh, a fun. <laughs> so at this point, then, like, how you know you're not touring. You know, it's been getting out there as much as you used to. How how are you finding these bands? I the recent most recent bands, the younger bands. I was um, I was before the pandemic. We were uh, I was doing a band called Kitty Cat Fan Club, right? And it was just just a local band, and that was our goal, just to play locally to like help out touring bands when they came through because. I would always get asked, Hey, can you help us with the show? But I had no band. Oh. And so that's why I started Kitty Cat. And we started playing Gilman and oh, okay. just kind of like seeing this new blood of Gilman upstarts where the old guard had either been, uh, either they moved on to something else or they were just, uh, I think some were pushed out. Because their ways of the old weren't, weren't working with the with the new the new crew of kids, but they had something going there. They're like, and currently, once they start going, I, I still think it's going to be um, a cool thing they have. Uh, it was just like young bands helping each other out. They were very supportive. I would go and I would see them like like the bands helping each other, like uh, like put together cassette tapes nice. or yeah. seven inches, like assembling them. And I was like, oh. And I, 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 I go, okay, that's that band or that's this band. And then mm. we had some interns and one in particular, this guy named Joey Miller, who was from the East Bay and vo- volunteered at Gilman and did sound there. And he would just play me uh, demos of bands from Gilman, that scene. Oh, cool. And, and I would just go, okay, well, this, I like this band. And I'm like, do you know them? And he said, yeah. And I said, can you message them? And so that's how we got. Small Crush and oh, Grumpster cool. and Sarcasm. Yeah. They're all, all part of that Gilman scene. Well, it's cool, too, because you had your kind of like built in like old man vetting process in there, too. You know, so you knew mm-hmm. that not only they were good, that they were like legit bands, too. It's, it's smart. Yeah. <laughs> so that's 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 been fun. I like when 
having like young interns come, it's really cool. It's kind of like a learning session for right. me. I ask them a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, where they see it as something that they, where they can learn. I, I find it just as, um, helpful. Yeah. You seem to, to not have brain. a very like self-righteous old man point of view at, at these things. You seem pretty open to whatever's happening on the younger level. Yeah. I, I like to learn new things. I'm, Except anything computer related, I'm like I'm very poor at. But uh, yeah, I hear you there. In, ter- in terms of music, I love to I love hearing new bands and it's like hearing um, what bands are doing good stuff. Sure, I like bands that help each other out. So yeah, um, that's what I'm always looking for. It's awesome. Well, listen. So I have a segment on this show I call Mystery Friend. <laughs> point of that is I hit up one of your old friends and I get a story about mm-hmm. something that happened or you. I'd like okay. you to tell me about the story. Okay. And then you have to guess who told me. I, I can, I'm going to guess even before you say anything. Oh, I got is options that... today, dog. I got options. Okay. Okay. Never mind. I'll let you continue. Sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a super obvious one. Um, okay. Which I did hit up. But now that you said that, I'm going to go with the not obvious ones. All right. Okay. Well, first off, I don't even know if you could guess who told me this, but I just need to hear the story first off. Okay. What is it? What's the the time you smoked weed with Tupac Shakur? I don't know if I smoked weed with Tupac. We played, (laughs) there was this place in Oakland called, there was a Chinese restaurant and this guy was putting on shows there um, called Alternative Music Productions. And we played with, we played with Digital Underground. Whoa. Early Digital Underground and Tupac was there, but I don't remember smoking weed with him at all. Were they Bay Area Digital? They were Bay Area, yeah. Yeah. What year was that? Ooh, I say like ninety one. So you played with Digital Underground at a Chinese restaurant in nineteen ninety one? Yeah. That is cool. What was the show like? It was good. There's uh there's a band called APG Crew that played. I think it was like Action Packed Gangsters. Nice. And then there was another like two young like young teenage uh, African American girls that did like this hip hop thing. There, it was really raw, but it was yeah. very cute. Uh, and we were the only like like non uh, hip hop act, mm. and we did okay. I I don't know where we played on the bill. I think we played main support maybe. We were doing really well that just in every we we loved playing diverse shows. So we were like, yes, yes, please, we want to play that show. Such a wacky scene you guys had going on around there at that time. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like really, like every time I hear something, I'm like, wow, it seems like I, I don't know. It's it, you, the area you grew up in always seemed to have, especially when you hear stories like that, it just feels, it always has like an old New York kind of feel to me. I know which is pompous being from here, that that's the way I frame it. But it's just like the sort of deep, murky uh, under things of the Bay Area that seem so plenty that uh, I even just read a book um, that took place with, someone who had done time in the Bay area and like adult, you know, uh, 
in like strip places and wound up in jail and was talking about kind of the old the old guard of the Bay Area. Really, I don't know. Just super funky. I think it doesn't get enough credit for being just a weird, interesting place that produced a lot of oh, yeah, weird and interesting sure. things, you know? It was a destination and from the genesis of punk. Right. Yeah, for sure. Every band would come to San Francisco. So um, historically, there's just been good shows since the beginning of time. Yeah. And you, I mean, when you were coming up, uh, you had, what, Op Ivy was playing at the same time? Yeah, Op Ivy broke up before Skank and Pickles started April 28th, 1989 was the first show. And they had broken up two months prior, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and also Fishbone as well, huh? Yeah. So that was, that was the blessing of, I mean, Fishbone's a reason that I'm even playing music. I would, right. I would, I would safely say without Fishbone, I would not have had a desire to play high energy music and so which cool. in turn taught me how to do what I'm doing now. But yeah, they came all the time and I would never miss a show. If it was within like a two hour drive, I would go to every show. So if they're playing like three nights in the neighboring cities, I'd go to each show. Oh, it's awesome. Fishbone super fan. Oh, the best, especially back then. Oh my God. There's nothing like it. And how much for you, for them, was it seeing like, you know, like people of color playing, playing rock music? Was that, was that crucial to you? Like, uh, having that kind of, um, just the the actual visual representation of that? Yes. Because they were the first band where it had the simple logo. There's like this fishbone logo. Yeah. Yeah. Their logo. And it would just say, fuck racism. Oh, I love those shirts. And I was just like, you know, when you're like 15 years old and you see something like that, you're like, whoa. Huh. Whoa. And it was the same with the Dead Kennedys too, them right. doing the Rock Against Racism shows and the Nazi punks, Nazi punks fuck off. That song is like, whoa. Yeah. Hearing that stuff is like really, um, I think, I guess like a pivotal time in my life of like understanding what punk can be or should be. I, I think early on I saw it more as silly music. I remember like hearing like the Repo Man soundtrack and right. like um, TV Party Tonight by Black Flag and then like Institutionalized by Suicidal, even though both songs are great songs. It just, in my teenage head, I just thought it was kind of silly. Like, oh, right, that's funny. Right, right. Yeah, you had the video, like the guy in the straight jacket and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it felt silly to me too. Now, like, moving on all these years, like, you know, do you do you see yourself in that role? Uh, you know, like, like for lack of a better word, for a role model for for Asian kids or adults, like looking around and in this type of music, and are you hoping that people kind of find the same thing with with you? Uh, I mean, n- never intentionally. It's just I know it happens because right. people tell me, and I've I've actually um, heard in other interviews um, people talk about it that their first show being, or well, the first time them seeing a person of color of Asian 
descent would be skank and pickle and then how that affected them. So I, I know it exists, but I've never like gone out and saying or having it in my mind that, oh, I've got to represent. I've right, got to right. do something. It's just um it's just <laughs> it's who I am. Yeah, right. Like not not putting up any flags, just being public as the human you are. Yeah. Well, your friend Sean Bennett told me about the time that you smoked weed with Tupac. Apparently you did not. Yeah, I wonder if I maybe I lied to Sean. Maybe I was maybe I was <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I was high with night. Sean. Yeah. It's possible. And I just... Very possible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to two. Cause like I said, sometimes I have a hard time with mystery friends, you know, like you know, two weeks ago, I interviewed. But you didn't give me a chance to guess who it was. I figured that one was just no chance. Um, oh, I was going to say Sean. Bennett. You were? Oh, no, yeah. I blew it. I blew it. All right. I'm going again. I have more. Okay. I have okay. more. Now, this one is simply a quote. Okay. Why did you do that flip? So that's going to be either uh, Christine Rosenstock or Jeff Ro- or Christine. Mackenstock or Jeff Rosenstock. <laughs> it's either one of them. That is true. And what is the meaning of this quote? So we were playing a show in Japan. Uh-huh. And it was just like, I used to do these like suicide flips back in the day with Skink and Pickle. Okay. And where I would, you know, you basically land on your back. Oy. And so it was just like during the show, I just, my adrenaline was kicking. And it's not like, I didn't stop the show to go, look at me. I'm going to do this crazy maneuver. I just did it where no one would see oh. except, you know, so if people happened to be looking at me, the only people in the band who saw me was Jeff and Dan Podest. And as soon as I did, I, I went, I broke my shoulder. Oh, no. I was like, I just broke my shoulder. Fuck. And I just, you know, I finished the set and I'm like, I think I broke my shoulder. But it wasn't broken. It was just badly bruised, oh, but God. I was just—I was in so much pain after that. We still had shows to do, yeah, uh, we, and we had Korea next to, to go tour. Shit. And I was just like, "Why did I do that flip?" <laughs> did you? Uh, did you stop the tradition after that? Oh, I'll never do it again. Never. That, that was, was the it. last. The last flip. That's the last. So that was probably four years ago, and it'll never happen again. Wow. Oh, you were doing this up until only four years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's shocking already that you were still even trying it at this point. That's bold. Yeah, whenever the, whenever the, yeah, so f- five years at the most. Uh, it was the last time we went to Korea. Oh, man. So I, I know that that was either four or five years did ago. Did you seek medical attention there? I didn't. Okay. I was just like, oh, I think it's okay. Once I, once I realized it wasn't broken, I right. was like, You're okay. Just like, yeah, yeah. got to move on. That's yeah. rough. Do you, do you still have family in Korea? I do. And I have a uh, aunts, uncles, and nice a lot of a lot of cousins. So, did you get to have like kind of like reunion style when when you play over there? Yeah, I, I, well, my all my aunts and uncles are very old. Everyone's in their eighties or nineties. Right. So, I went and had dinner with so a, they're not a couple skanking, relatives. Not skanking. No, yeah, and uh, that's it. They didn't come to the shows, but they. They um, fed me. <laughs> how's your uh, How's your Korean? Oh, it's terrible. Terrible. Yeah. So when you but when you're there, do you do you pain your way through Korean, or they pain their way through English? 
A little bit of both. Oh, okay. Right. Kind of like battle through it. Yeah, yeah. Ah, and for the most part, we 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 can get our points across. Sure, sure. What's the um like? I I, I know so little about it. Um, like your family in Korea is is their life like fairly akin to like you know what I know is like a normal American go to work kind of life, or is it just like drastically different? Uh I'm trying to think. I, I, yeah, I know my, like my uncle who's 80, gosh, I think he's 87. He still gets up at 6 a.m. every day and works like 10 hours in in the office. Okay. So uh, a little bit too much. Like it's too centered around work. And yeah, yeah. That's unfortunate. But I think that's the only thing that keeps him going. If he didn't have that, he'd be dead. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the work dynamic, I'm sure, is different everywhere in every country. I know definitely in Japan, it's so different than the U.S. Yes. Um, but Korea, I don't know enough about Korea where I've spent long amounts of times where I've seen the workforce and how it, how it, uh, how it goes. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't mean to give you a question that's like, please give me the cultural analysis of all of Korea. <laughs> that's my fault. Um so moving quickly from that, what is a cupcake? Not an actual, someone, not an actual cupcake said, you eat. What is a cupcake? It's from the same person. From it's from the same Jeff Frozenstock. What is a cupcake? He says it's some game you play with your own farts. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I just like, you know, you, you fart in your hand and you kind of cup it. I didn't know it was, I never called it a cupcake. Where's he getting this? And you kind of, you hopefully you have enough in your hand and you kind of just throw it in their face. I love how everyone's adding like a little elaborate spin to the end of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, yeah, that's uh that's a joyous thing. If you're able to, if you're on the receiving end and you get to smell a little bit of it, you win. <laughs> I mean, does anyone do it to you or are you only giving? I think I'm only giving. Yeah. I think if I'm doing it a lot, then maybe they'll try to do it. But but you're like... It's, it's usually me. You're you like, know. young one, you don't know the ways to actually deliver this thing to your face. But I think I do it a lot just to myself. I'll do it and then I'll do, I'll do it in front of them to try to disgust them. <laughs> so I'll do it and then I'll put it, put it up to my nose and smell and pretend like it's like the most... Elegant smell I've ever experienced. Uh, and then they're like, oh, I like to do that with people I just meet too. Yeah. Just to kind of put them at ease. It seems, it seems like it would be effective. <laughs> do, do you like to do that to people you first meet to kind of like yes. set the tone and just kind of get a feel for them? Yes, because I think people who've never met me in person have this uh characterization that I'm ultra political and very mm. serious, which I am at times, but I, I think I'm more goofy uh, in real life than people really understand. Well, this next mystery friend actually called you a straight up weirdo. Okay. So you'll be happy to hear that. I think D- it's worth Denominici. Yeah. How'd you know that already? <laughs> I, I could just, it sounds like Denominici. He's like, he's just a weirdo. But he said when the last time you would travel in Japan, mm-hmm. he's like, he's like, ask Mike about 
how he would wake up in his boxers every morning, mm -hmm. look at me, go, and then slowly walk up to Jeff, get too close to him and wake him up. See, the problem is I just don't remember these things because I just do so much. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, every day is like, uh, whatever I can do to put a smile on someone's face. Yeah. I'm not sure what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I am a weirdo. No, I'm with you. I, Sean is yeah, right. Yeah. I'm weird. I do the same things just simply for the reaction. I'm not really sure why I'm doing it at this point. <laughs> too many years in, you know, now it's just yeah. you, right? Exactly. But he did tell me something interesting, and this is what me, you and I know each other from the best, mm -hmm. is John told me that you beat him and Jeff Rosenstock at the same time in basketball and dribbled the ball between John's leg. So you got you got game? I, I do. My knees are shot. Okay. I, played, I played for a long time, and I played – like really high, even into my forties, I was playing like these super competitive leagues. Oh, really? And my my knees are finally shot. Oh, I can't. Shit. I can't even run anymore. Oh, really? I can walk, oh, so that's good. That sucks. But um, I don't remember playing them too. The only time I remember, I know Gilman. There's this guy named Motorhead who never lost. Whoa! Um, this like six foot seven black guy who was rail thin. And I said, yeah, I'm all, I'm all, do you want to play? And he's like, yeah. And when I beat him, it was, this was probably like 1990. Like the entire Gilman, like everyone from Gilman, all the staff, they were watching and they couldn't believe it. Yeah, that's some like. And I beat him. That's some Rudy shit right there. You beat. <laughs> Wait, and this is straight one-on-one -on -one to like 11? Straight one-on-one. -on -one. Oh, yeah. my goodness. His name was Motorhead. And then I played the band Tuesday, three-on-one. <laughs> and. and and played full court three on one, and I barely lost. Wow! And I was on. I mean, I mean that you talked to Dan Andriano, Rob Kellenberger, Matt Stamps, yeah, about it. They'll remember clearly because I was hitting from forty, like eighty percent. I was they were triple teaming me. They I oh. could not miss. You're like Steph Curry. <laughs> I was just pulling up from so far out and just. <laughs> Using them as picks for myself, like they were just stumbling over each other. But it was just, I, I, it was so hard to cover three people. There's only so much you can do. I just let them have the outside shot. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, they'd have easy layups. But that's too funny. I remember that one clearly because I was just launching. Who do you model your game after? <sighs> I was, my favorite player growing up was an obscure guy named Larry Smith. He was on the Warriors. Okay. Uh, his, his nickname was Mr. Mean. I actually started a fan club for him. And Mr. Mean? Mr. Mean. Yes. Larry Smith. Uh, he he could only rebound. Okay. <laughs> He's a big guy? Yeah, he was but he wasn't he was probably like six foot seven, six eight, but he just played way bigger than uh his 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 size. He was much more menacing than his, his size would would dictate. But. Six eight, two fifteen. According to basketball oh. reference. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, he was uh he was my favorite player and I would just I I would watch him and just oh. if I went I went to a lot of Warrior games growing up and I would just watch him. Like during the game I'd see what he's doing and just his rebounding positioning. Yeah. Um and it was exciting. So that part I modeled my game after him, his defense and his 
tenacious uh, um, energy. But he could he he could not shoot. He no, I can see that all. now. So I'm looking at Larry Smith averaged double digit rebounds five seasons. I mean, this is a, a legitimate rebounding force in the NBA. Look at that. I didn't know anything <laughs> about this guy. Even had a, a double double year in eighty four, eighty five. Career fifty three percent shooter. I think I'm a Larry Smith fan. I think now. he was first team. Yeah, first team all rookie. Um, eighty eighty one all rookie team. And uh, yes. he was also assistant coach for Rudy Tomjanovich on all the Rocket championships. Oh, okay. And then he, when Rudy went to L.A. to coach the Lakers for a partial season before he quit, Larry Smith went with him. And I talked to Larry Smith. We became kind of friends really? because of the fan club. And I asked him about Kobe. I was like, you know, what happened? He's like, Rudy couldn't deal with Kobe anymore. Oh, he's like he was just uncoachable. He was just <laughs> wow. like it was no fun. So he's just like, oh, I'm going to retire. No shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's some great insider information. Wait, when you yeah. say the fan club, does that mean you you're in the Warriors fan club? No, it was the Larry Smith fan. Club. Oh, the actual. So you're in the yeah. Larry Smith fan club, more specifically. <laughs> And it got so we would wow. we would wear hard hats because uh-huh. he was like a hard worker, but also we would wear hard hats because he was such a bad free throw shooter. Oh yeah, we would wear the hard hats. Ooh, look at that! Fifty three percent career. Yikes! Yeah, yeah. So you'd wear hard hats so you wouldn't get hit in the head. <laughs> yeah, so we would get in crass position when he he <laughs> shot free throws, and but we would they, after the third quarter they would always play tequila. By the champs. Okay. And that's when Pee Wee's Big Adventures had just come out. Sure. And he does this dance to tequila. So we just did it one time. And like the crowd kind of caught on. They're like watching. There was only like eight of us. Yeah. We're like way up in the rafters too. And so they're like cheering. Like everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone from the Warriors just came up to us and said, hey, can you guys do this at every Warrior game? What? <laughs> We're like, okay. Oh, my God. And they would give us free tickets every so often. Oh, but shit. most of the time, they're trying to think, like, how can we get this free entertainment? Yeah, right. Um, and then they just started selling the hard hats that we made. No. And then we, then the San Francisco Chronicle wrote an article about it because we got pissed. And um, Oh, you got mad that they stole your idea? Yeah, that they were selling our hard hats. Yeah, you should have so, gotten a commission, a commission on that. Yeah, so they yeah. Uh, we stopped going, and then they they hit up uh, hit us up and said what happened, and then they came out with this big article, and then the Warriors gave us free tickets again. Wow, <laughs> that's, what year was this? It was like eighty six. Oh my god, that's too good, man. I was great because I saw everybody. I saw. Like we gave an award to Larry Smith. They were playing the Knicks, and so we got to go on the court. And I was like sitting; it was during halftime, so Ewing was sitting like two seats away from me, and he was just drenched in sweat. And it was of halftime, course. so the game. I was like, "Why is he sweating so much? It's halftime." <laughs> uh, growing up watching the Knicks, Patrick Ewing played eleven seconds, and he was covered in sweat. It was insane. Yeah, it was insane. So it was, got, it was fun. We got to see Jordan, and yeah. I got to see Dr. J's last time through the Bay Area. And- it's, it's so funny, and it's proof. Like People are like, oh, athletes are so inaccessible, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, if you 
decide to make like Dr. J your favorite athlete, sure. But if you choose like Larry <laughs> Smith, you know, you might actually get to know the guy, right? <laughs> yeah, and it, it was funny on my wedding when I was flying home from my wedding, I was I was by myself and I was in Manchester, New Hampshire. Okay. I was in the Southwest Terminal. I was kind of sitting there and I just look up and coming through <laughs> Coming through the uh, security is Larry Smith. I was like, yes. Yes. So I'm like, Larry, what's going on? Yeah, and you're in like full on, what's up, Larry? What's up, Mike? Kind of territory. Yeah. And I just <laughs> said, I said, where are you going? He's like, oh, I got some job interview, coaching job interviews. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> you got to get him on a record somehow. I've, I've, uh, I gave, he knows about the song I wrote about him. I wrote a, there's a Skank and Pickle song called Larry Smith. <laughs> And so I, he knows about that. Okay. And I gave him a CD way back in the day, but uh, I've tried emailing him. He works at Alcorn State. He's like the athletic director, but okay. he never he never writes me back anymore. So he doesn't hit you back anymore. <laughs> Larry, get a job. Uh, get a job at Alcorn State, and you're too good for Mike Park now. I know. What's that bullshit? That's fucking funny, though. I can't believe that. I love it. All right. It's very sad. So we're three-fourths of the way through your mystery, friend. I have one more, okay? Okay. Now, this one says, ask him about his whole thing with chewing up Triscuits, spitting the Triscuits back onto other Triscuits, sprinkling Parmesan cheese on them, and serving them to people. I mean, I've told that story to so many people, but I'm thinking it's Brendan Kelly. Yeah, good. Is it Brendan Kelly? It is Brendan Kelly, yeah. Okay. And why do you do that? I never did it. I just thought (laughs) – I never did it, but I said, what if? Like if you just shoot it up, you shoot it up, and then you put it on a new Triscuit, sprinkled on some Parmesan cheese, and then baked it, and you served it, and they didn't know, they would think this is delicious. I mean, you're probably right. Like, yeah, like it, it would be of, delicious. Yeah, it's like if a, they if they didn't know, right? It's, it's like a restuffed potato or something. Kinda. Yeah, yeah, it'd be, it'd be delicious. Yeah, I could see it working. That's a strange hypothetical to bring up. Um, and he also asked. He said, "Ask him about driving his car at the exact right speed on the San Jose freeway. Forty three miles an hour is very terrifyingly slow." But in his neighborhood, it's very terrifyingly fast. I don't. I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have no idea. We'll call that one a mulligan. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe next time I'll get some some more info on that. But I would I would have guessed Sean Bennett. I and so I had guessed everybody. You did. You you literally went four for four on Mystery Friend. I I thought I was going to confuse you with my sheer volume. Has anyone guessed all? Honestly, normally this you were a unique situation because I, I was gonna, even like two weeks ago I had a young artist named Kississippi on who's from Philly, and I got to the interview and I'm like, shit, I don't know anyone who knows this woman at all, mm-hmm. and I started literally just hitting up people I know in Philly, just being like, hey, mm-hmm. randomly, like, do you know this person? And I got nothing. And you are like the exact opposite, which is like, I go through my phone for about, you know, 30 seconds and see a number of your really good friends. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. So nailing a mystery friend for you was actually, uh, was actually a lot easier. And you're a very well liked guy, Mike. I don't know if you know that. 
out there, but people really like you and they're willing to tell funny and joyous stories about you. So I think your uh, operating style to the world seems to be working. I'm cool, huh? I think so. <laughs> I, think, I mean, even though your your kids don't think you're cool, but that probably means that you're doing a good job, right? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> when do we get to determine that? Like, when do you get to like chalk it up to be like, all right, they're good. They like senior in high school. Yeah. I'm hoping. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, but people go through some weird exploratory stuff in those college years. You know? Yeah. But I think I'll be okay with just going, yeah, you're an adult. Do what you want. Right. You'll be at the age then where you, you don't even have the time to care anymore. Right. But I'm also going to be like, don't depend on me financially. <laughs> right. Like, let's go in reverse, you know? Um, <laughs> so people probably imagine you're now like covered in ska records all the time. But what's some uh, music that you're, you're digging and listening to kind of outside of that box? Only ska. I, I've never heard any other <laughs> yeah, genre I'm sure. of music. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> What are you listening to? Gosh, I'm trying to think of some new stuff that I'm listening to. You know, usually when I cook with my wife, we usually listen to a lot of like Ellen Sebastian and the Go-Go's. Uh, a lot of old, older stuff. We'll listen to a lot of Riot Girl stuff, Bikini nice. Kill and cool. Huggy Bear. And my wife was a big Riot Girl in. In Portland, Maine, growing up. Wow. So she. That's a hardcore place to be a riot girl. <laughs> I know. Yeah. She has a shoebox full of letters that she wrote to her idols and they, her writing, them writing her back. Ah, uh, that's so rad. It's cool to see all these, <laughs> all these uh, postcards. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, nothing, nothing really new other than Asian man stuff than, than what I've been putting out. I've been mostly, when I listen to music, I usually. I guess I just listen to old stuff, sadly. I don't think that's sad. There's so much music out there, you know? I know. It's go, crazy. You could go backwards for the rest of your life and not even scratch the surface, right? It's, no. It's intimidating exactly. sometimes. It is, and it's it's kind of depressing at the same time. It's like I will never be able to hear so many good artists. Yeah. I mean, I think what's depressing about it for me as I get older is kind of the idea that, like, and now I've watched it, you know, I've watched people who've dedicated like literally their entire adult lives to creating art and to putting themselves out there, usually a great detriment to their own personal conditions. And like, you know, hitting an age and a point where you kind of realize like, there's no way I can get paid from this. So few people care, you know, it's kind of like a, it's, it, I don't bring this up to, to, to make like a woe is me thing. It's more to hammer away at the idea that you really, really need to feel good about what you're doing at the time because the long-term validation of it, you can't bank on, right? That's true. That's why the most, the first fun I, I've had in music was the early years. I still enjoy playing but it'll never, never match the feeling I had when I was first playing. Yeah, right. Because it was just so raw and honest. Sure. 
But I mean, at the same token, like some of the content that you've made over the years and stuff, like, you know, it'd be hard to imagining, uh, you know, some really, really young version of you, you know, writing some of the music you've written as a solo artist because, you know, the, I don't know, it's like important content that only an adult could write. Like like Asian Prodigy, like you couldn't have written that song right when you were twenty, or or you would have written a very <laughs> or you would have written a very different version of it, right? Yeah, it's true. But then I think of Operation Ivy and that Jesse Michaels was seventeen, eighteen when he wrote those lyrics, and I go, oh, yeah, dear God, yeah, it was insane. <laughs> but we can't try to match the things like. You know, everyone hits these. I think that's a, a mistake people make in music. You know, you hit these points in your musical career and they're filled with hundreds, if not thousands of variables of how you got to that point and the energy you have and and the physical condition around it. And it's just impossible to recreate. You know, that's it's aging gracefully, right? Yes, that's a good way to put it. We're <laughs> <Or> trying. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks for all that, man. Yeah. That was thanks. fun to talk. And also to, uh, I feel like, like when I was getting in touch with you, like I wrote in that first email, I was like, I feel like I know this guy just cause we're competitors, you know? But in that fantasy basketball, yeah, I think I played. So we're for people listening, we're in a fantasy basketball league and I feel like you were in the, semifinals against me and you were not changing your lineup. You were, you had Bradley Beal. Is that correct? No, there's no chance. I'm, I'm a fucking nerd nerd. Uh, <laughs> so no, I actually missed the playoffs this year. Oh, you did miss it. I did. Okay. Uh, I was, um, I had drafted Joel Embiid and Kevin Durant. Okay. So, you know, which I would have been sitting pretty if both of them decided yeah. to play all year. Sure. And then I had this strategy. I was like, okay, Embiid and Durant are out. I'm going to pick up Nurkic. I'm going to pick up DeAndre Hunter. I'm going to just shit for a few weeks. And then everyone's going to come back healthy and I'm going to make a run to the finals. Well, they didn't come back healthy quite fast enough and I missed the playoffs altogether. So <laughs> my strategy yeah. did not pan out this year. <laughs> Ah, yeah. I w- I won this year. I know. I know. Congratulations. $280. Man. Cha-ching. That's it. Now your parents are proud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got to get a winner of Al Bundy and Blue Chips t-shirt and get one article in a Korean periodical about this. Exactly. <laughs> and you're set. I'm set. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck next season. Thank you. Same to you. Same to you. Well, thanks for taking the time, Mike. I appreciate it. I loved Fishbone. Did you like Fishbone? Yeah, I saw Fishbone play with the Chili Peppers. Oh, really? The, what year was the, that? It was like, I want to say like, it was... It was the 80s. It was the late, late 80s, probably like 88. 
maybe. 88. 80, 88 or 89, maybe. It was at the Ritz. It was at the fucking Ritz, Webster Hall. Small, fairly small venue here. That's funny. So, um, at the yeah. Ritz. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Get some history, man. I know. <laughs> Your first thing with Fishbone was seeing them at the Ritz in New York, which is obviously very cool. Mine was seeing them in a movie. <laughs> Do you remember when they were in that uh, Back to the Beach yeah, with yeah. Annette Funicello singing this? I never saw it, but I knew I was aware of it. So I literally, <laughs> I used to love that movie for no reason either. I just thought it was great. I think my mom liked it. And I was like, who's this like crazy band who just jumps out and sings Jamaica Ska with Annette Funicello on the on the beach? And then years later, I'm getting into like cool music and I'm like, oh, wait. I know this band. These are the same dudes. And obviously, <laughs> you know, they're very like noticeable guys, like the way Angelo presents himself. So it's like, it's like, oh, look at that. And then I had a real run with their music. Like at that time, they really actually like, they're one of those bands. You know, I think when you grow up a punk rocker, you sometimes fail to see the bands that have real influence on you. And like, you're like, oh, it must've been like, you know, all these punk bands with these, it must have been propaganda and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> really, like Fishbone, you know, got to me earlier and had these really impactful songs and like uh, kind of messaging that was quite different and really affected me. So I was like, some of these bands like this, I don't think get enough credit for really shaping like punk rock and stuff in kind of a different way. Yeah, I would definitely call Fishbone one of those sort of unheralded, um, Iconic bands for sure. Yeah. And they're still kicking around. But I wish I wish that story about him meeting Tupac was actually smoking weed with Tupac. <laughs> That's one of those stories you're supposed to just go with it and be like, yeah, dude, whatever. I smoked with Tupac. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was great. I love that we we keep getting Tupac stories and he comes off like a pretty dude. cool dude. Yeah, what's up with that? But, hilarious. but I gotta say, like I've known not a lot, but a few like proper gangsters in my day, like people who are, and they are almost always invariably cool. Oh yeah. When you meet them, you know what I mean? Like that's not how they present themselves just like, fuck you. But there is like a switch that is quick and terrifying. That's the thing I've learned with those people. It's not like they walk around like, you know, chest in the air all day. But when it's time, it happens fast before you, yeah, you even know it. It's almost a schizophrenic, like, yeah, they're the sweetest people in the world when you're on the right, you know. Yeah. Good side. <laughs> Gotta tell you. So where can people uh, reach Mike Park? Well, whatever you want to reach him on, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, you can reach him at Mike Park Music. Oh, that's it. That's easy to remember. Cool. Um, obviously, he's got a wonderful record label, Asian Man. Mm -hmm. And um, you should go there and check out the catalog. It's pretty much all great bands. And his podcast, right? Right. Yeah. He's the, uh, the Degrassi Next Generation podcast. So Yes. Um, I haven't listened to it. I can't tell you anything about it, but uh, except that obviously the, it has terrible audio quality, <laughs> I guess. But, <laughs> I'm not going to judge. Um, I'm sure the content is awesome. Brad, I think you have already judged, actually. 
by making the comment you just made. <laughs> That's, you have already judged. You have already judged. I'm using his words. I'm I'm using Mike's words there. But um, check us out wherever you find your social media. Going off track and uh, leave us a review on Apple Music or wherever else you listen to podcasts. I don't know. We always hype fucking Apple, but honestly, you can leave reviews everywhere. And uh, I was just saying that today. I'm watching like. Five people stare at their phones and computers in this studio. I'm like, you know what? Apple should really be paying us a commish at this point. It's getting crazy. (laughs) We're all just slaves to Macintosh. And you know what the the bite of it all is? Is I'm a Honeycrisp man. I'm not a Macintosh man. You know? Full on Honeycrisp guy. But I want to thank a few people. I'd like to thank everyone who's on our Patreon. Um, We appreciate the support. It's the only way oh, yeah. we're uh, keeping it real. Paying for the show, we offer a lot of fun content on there in our fireside chat every week. And uh, I want to thank old friends of the program: Sean Bennett, Jeff Rosenstock, John Diamici, and Brendan Kelly for all of their Mike Park stories. Yeah, I'll tell you, I don't think people have texted me back faster. Wow. Than they did with Mike Park stories. They were ready to go. That's yeah, it. it's like they were waiting for this text for years. It was great. Oh, that's but cool. also thanks to Mike for taking the time. And uh, thanks to you, Brad. Thank you, Benny, for making this happen without me. I feel so guilty that I wasn't there. But, you know, I knew you could handle it. Listen, let your guilt <laughs> pay off in sexual favors. <laughs> Simple. And with that... We're going to leave you until next week. Bye.